Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know you make me wanna The Buffalo Bills are the most complete, dynamic team in professional football. You can think of 8 million ways that the Buffalo Bills are going to win this game against an 11-win Indianapolis team, but if you look at it on the flip side for the Colts, there's only maybe one or two ways the Colts win this game. I mean, you're dealing with an inferior quarterback, Phillip Rivers, at the end of his career. His flaws were incredibly apparent. Fourth and short, third and short, Rivers comes out, Jacoby Brissett comes in. Deep ball, Jacoby Brissett comes in. I mean, there's just a lot that Phillip Rivers can't do at this point in his career. So they need Jonathan Taylor to run the ball, not just because that's their best chance of moving the chains against this Bills defense, but also because the more they run the ball, the more they control the ball. And you want to keep Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and company sidelined as much as possible. In fact, that's the only chance Indianapolis has at winning this game. If Jonathan Taylor and company can't do the job, the Indianapolis Colts don't stand a chance. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Episode 18, and I can't wait. Former LSU and Cleveland Browns quarterback Josh Booty is all set to join the show momentarily. Can't wait to get to him. We're going to get to both Ohio teams, the Cleveland Browns, and the Ohio State Buckeyes being on opposite ends of a couple of blowouts Sunday and Monday night. But first, you heard it in the intro, and that clip I pulled from last week's show, you know it if you've listened to the show before. I love the Buffalo Bills, and I can't wait for this Bills-Ravens game Saturday night. The Buffalo Bills went out there at home, first home playoff game in 25 years, first home playoff game in my lifetime, and they did everything that they needed to do against the Indianapolis Colts. In fact, the Colts did everything that they needed to do to win that game against the Buffalo Bills, and they still didn't have enough to overtake Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and company out in western New York. I mean, I laid it out for you last week. You heard it again just moments ago. The Colts needed to run the ball to move the chains. Well, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines each had over 75 yards on the ground. Check that off your list. And they needed to keep Josh Allen and that dynamic, electric Bills offense off the field. Well, they did that. They dominated the time of possession game. On Saturday afternoon, almost 10 minutes more than the Buffalo Bills had the ball. The Indianapolis Colts offense was out there. They ran the ball. They ran the show. It still wasn't enough. That's how good this Buffalo Bills team is, that the Colts executed almost every piece of their game plan to perfection, and they still couldn't win the game. I mean, the Buffalo Bills are just a far superior team. They're up there with Kansas City and Green Bay among the NFL's elite. And I can't wait to see what happens when Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens march into Western New York this Saturday night. You know, I went to one Bills game in the four years that I went to St. Bonaventure University out in Western New York. And it was last December, near the end of my senior year of college. And it was the Ravens and the Bills. And I caught a lot of heat for wearing a Hollywood Brown jersey to Orchard Park. Okay, disrespectful. I get it. I deserved it. But I love this Ravens team a year ago, just like I love this Bills team this season. Because last year, the Ravens were far and away the most fun team in the NFL. And this year, the most fun team in football, it's the Buffalo Bills. And I can't wait to see what happens when these two forces collide Saturday night. The Ravens game plan is going to be very similar to that of the Colts. Run the ball effectively, run the ball efficiently, and control the ball. Keep Josh Allen, 
Keep Stefan Diggs, keep Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox and company all on the bench as much as you can. And boy, if there's a team that can do that, it's the Baltimore Ravens. It's Lamar Jackson, it's J.K. Dobbins, it's Gus Edwards. I mean, how about the fact that Mark Ingram was a healthy scratch in this game? Mark Ingram, who was on opening day the team's number one running back, was in street clothes, a healthy scratch for their playoff game against the Tennessee Titans. Is it because Mark Ingram stinks? No, not by any means. It's because this team is so good at running the ball and so deep in the backfield that a guy like Ingram could not dress in the wild card round and could end up being, who knows, their leading rusher or second leading rusher only behind their quarterback in the divisional round against Buffalo. I mean, you don't know. Mark Ingram is a great runner. He's a little long in the tooth at this point for a running back, but it's not a knock on him at all. They're just so deep. And that backfield and the rookie J.K. Dobbins has been fantastic. And the journeyman Gus Edwards has been incredible in his role, stepping in when they need him to against Pittsburgh in a practice squad game. The rest of the way down the stretch along this six-game win streak now for Baltimore. Everything is clicking for both of these teams. And I can't wait to see how this one unfolds Saturday night in Buffalo. You know, look, I spend a lot of time on this show talking about spreads and lines and over-unders, ways to gamble, deviate the numbers with teasers. I love it all, right? I'm not touching this game. The only thing I could potentially even look at is the over. But this game opened up Bills minus two and a half. It's come down to, I believe, Bills minus one as we speak. It's almost a pick em. I mean, just watch the game. Just enjoy the game. Let it unfold. Because this should be the AFC championship game. And it absolutely kills me. And I'll get to the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. For no other reason than this, it kills me that the Cleveland Browns won Sunday night. Because I wanted to see the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens on championship Sunday. I was really hoping Pittsburgh would win so the Bills could steamroll the Steelers and the Ravens could upset the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium en route to this deciding who represents the AFC in the Super Bowl. That's how much I believe in each of these teams right now. I don't think Pittsburgh could hold a candle to Buffalo, and I don't think Kansas City could beat Baltimore, even at home, the way that the Ravens are playing right now. I mean, if you look at what Lamar Jackson did in Nashville on Sunday, his team fell behind in the opening minutes 10-0, and this is a guy who all the pressure was on him coming into this game. No one was talking about the other quarterbacks in the 2018 draft class, right? No one mentioned how Josh Allen was 0-1 in the playoffs, how Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen, Josh practice squad Rosen, had never even sniffed the playoffs before. No, all the talk was Lamar Jackson, the quarterback in that 2018 draft class who had been to the playoffs the most, who had the most success so far in his career in terms of winning. All the talk was on how he was 0-2, in his two playoff games. Well, you know who else was 0-2? Eli Manning was 0-2. Peyton Manning, I believe, started 0-3. John Elway was 0-2. I mean, these are Hall of Fame, no doubt about it, quarterbacks. But Lamar Jackson, the man who was told he should move to wide receiver or running back, he was 0-2 in his first two playoff games, and all the pressure was on him going into Tennessee. All the pressure remained on him when his team fell behind 10-0, And credit the defense for limiting the Titans to just three points the rest of the game after they dug themselves into that hole. But Lamar stayed cool, he stayed calm, he stayed composed, and the Baltimore Ravens, that juggernaut of an offense, moved up and down on Tennessee. Fourth and short, third and short, converted. He threw the ball with confidence and accuracy when he needed to. I mean, Lamar Jackson, everyone always wants to knock his passing game, right? They always want to say that Lamar Jackson, they want to prove their pre-draft narrative right and say that Lamar Jackson is still not a true quarterback. He made one hell of a throw on a ball where he he had got flushed out of the pocket. He was sprinting towards the sideline and I'm yelling at the TV, just throw it away, just throw it away. And he finds Mark Andrews near the sideline for a first down on one of the prettiest, most precise throws that I've ever seen him make in that Tennessee game. I mean, Lamar Jackson, make no mistake about it, he's a quarterback. He won the MVP last year in year two as a quarterback. And that's what he is. And he could win the Super Bowl one day. In fact, he will win the Super Bowl one day. I don't know if it's this year, 
but one day he will hold the Lombardi Trophy as a quarterback. But in the meantime, I can't wait to see him go to Orchard Park and to watch the Bills and Ravens collide Saturday night in what I think is going to be the best postseason game this year. Now, what wasn't the best postseason game this year, no one will argue that with you, was the Cleveland Browns-Pittsburgh Steelers game on Sunday night. I mean, I said it December 4th. The Pittsburgh Steelers ain't it. In fact, the title of my show that day was episode 15. Ken Rosenthal joins the show. The Steelers ain't it. And Sarah Fuller on women in sports. It was in the show title. The Steelers ain't it. The worst 11-0 team in the history of football. And that was obvious when they barely squeaked by Baltimore's practice squad. Since that pathetic win, Pittsburgh finished the year 1-5. and And now you have Chase Claypool, the stud-wide receiver, who in the first quarter of the season people were saying is the next Calvin Johnson. They were calling him the Big Maple, Mapletron. I mean, you've got Chase Claypool out here saying that the Browns are going to get clapped by Kansas City on Sunday. Chase, you just got clapped by the Browns on Sunday. Don't worry about what Cleveland does in their divisional round matchup against Kansas City because they're playing in the divisional round. You're not. Are you? I mean, where the hell have you been since week five? Of, of all people to talk, Juju Smith-Schuster, who has already accomplished so much in his career, Big Ben, who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, has two Super Bowl rings to his credit. Of all people to talk, the rookie? I, I mean, what a rookie thing to say. The Browns are going to get clapped against Kansas City. This man has not been relevant since week five. He had that incredible performance against the Eagles, 110 yards, three touchdowns earlier in the season, and slipped into absolute irrelevance ever since. I mean, he seemed like he was going to be one of the most likable young stars in the league this season. And for him to come out and say this, it just shows his absolute immaturity. Credit to Cleveland. On the other hand, the Cleveland Browns, No Kevin Stefanski. Their head coach wasn't even in the building. And to quote Chase Claypool, they clapped the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night, missing their best offensive lineman, the all-pro Joel Batonio. What an incredible performance. This game was over on the first play. I mean, I said it, right? This game was Denver Broncos, Seattle Seahawks, Super Bowl at MetLife Stadium, all over again from the first play, from the snap that went over Big Ben's head, and Cleveland's safety, Carl Joseph, recovered in the end zone for a touchdown, you knew the game was a total implosion on the end of the Pittsburgh Steelers from the get. I mean, an interception for Pittsburgh to follow that, 14-0 Cleveland. Next thing you know, the first quarter ends, it's 28-0. I'll be frank, I shut the game off at that point. 21-0, as a matter of fact. I shut the game off knowing it was going nowhere. And then when I shut my phone off in addition, turned it back on around 2 in the morning to see the final was 48-37, I was shocked. I was like, wow, Pittsburgh made it a game. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. And Chase Claypool had two touchdowns, and he can enjoy those touchdowns while he's ice fishing in Vancouver for the rest of the offseason. But those touchdowns came in absolute garbage time. So you can take those garbage time touchdowns to the golf course, Chase, because they meant nothing. Where were you when the team needed you? Where were you when it was 14 21-0, 28-0? You were MIA. I mean, don't get me started on Mike Tomlin's coaching decisions either. I know everyone else has beaten the dead horse, but punting, fourth and one, midfield in the third quarter. The third quarter, which by the way, was the only time in the game where Pittsburgh actually controlled the game, where they blanked Cleveland, the only quarter that the Cleveland Browns didn't score, all the momentum's going in the direction of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cleveland's defense was out there a majority of the quarter, tired on the field, can't get a break, and you give them a break by punting. Fourth and one from the logo. I mean, none of it made any sense from the start. It was an absolute implosion, and that game was more indicative of who the Pittsburgh Steelers were this season than any game in the first 11 weeks was. Now, for the bad news for the state of Ohio, the college football national championship game Monday night. Wow. Wow, the Alabama Crimson Tide I mean, what a force this Alabama team was, right? I actually thought this was going to be a game. I actually thought the Ohio State Buckeyes had a chance at coming out victorious in this one because I didn't buy into Alabama's defense. Haven't all year. I mean, I thought if Florida was able to put up 
42, I believe it was 42 points on them in that SEC championship game loss. I figured, why can't Ohio State put up 49, right? I mean, in my opinion, they went out against a superior Clemson defense and eviscerated them. So why couldn't the Buckeyes do it against Alabama's defense, which I thought was one of the lesser quality defenses in Nick Saban's tenure down in Tuscaloosa? (laughs) Boy, was I wrong. I mean, Justin Fields went out there and he looked like a deer in the headlights. And I do have to say, the second I heard last night's broadcast crew on ESPN relay that Ohio State's coaching staff told them Justin Fields went from about 70% health earlier in the week to 95% on game day, I cringed. I cringed because I knew that was a lie, a blatant lie. You don't go from 70% to 95% health in just a couple days. Justin Fields played that game Monday night injured from the start. His throws had no zip. His arm had no oomph. Whatever adrenaline he survived on in the Clemson game had clearly worn off. Look, Justin Fields had no life. And after the first quarter, neither did the rest of his Ohio State Buckeyes. I mean, this game was eerily reminiscent to the national championship last year, where you had Clemson jump off to that 17-7 lead early on, a 10-point lead over Joe Burrow and his LSU Tigers. At one point, Clemson trailed 21-17. The rest was history. They lose at 42-25. Monday night, you've got the Buckeyes, just like Clemson did at one point. They never led 17-7, but they were trailing 21-17. In fact, it was tied up at 14. And then they lose 52-24. An embarrassment at the end of that game. Devontae Smith, how about the Heisman winner? By the way, college football and the voters got that so right. Devontae Smith, the clear and away Heisman winner this season. No one else I thought was nearly as impactful as he was. I mean, he set all sorts of records in the first half. 12 receptions at halftime. That was a championship game record, breaking Hunter Renfro's record of 10 receptions in the 2017 title game against Bama. 215 yards. He eclipsed that in the third quarter. That was just what he had at halftime, 215. I believe on his first reception of the third quarter, he set the record for receiving yards in a title game. Three touchdowns at halftime, also a record. Several players had had two. No one ever had three. (laughs) Devontae Smith, I mean, the only negative thing that you can say about his performance on Monday night is that it might land him the number two pick in the draft to the New York Jets. Uh, That's the only thing that you can walk away from Monday night's championship game and say, oh no, Devontae Smith, you might be a Jet because of how well you played. I mean, any team who gets him is going to be incredibly lucky. You're getting a great athlete. It's very obvious. All you have to do is listen listen to him speak for 10 seconds. You're getting a great person, someone with great character, great values. I mean, he'll be great both on the field and in the locker room. I know I wish my Giants were able to get him, but there's no chance in hell he'll be on the board at 11. He doesn't make it out of the top three. Look, Mac Jones, I mean, could he be the second best quarterback in this draft? If you're a Justin Fields truther and you were walking around after that semifinal performance saying, oh, he's better than Trevor Lawrence, the Jags and Urban Meyer with the Ohio State connection should look at Justin Fields. I mean, by that logic, Mac Jones is the best quarterback in the country. Because he went out there on one leg and he willed his team to a title. Najee Harris, over 100 total yards of offense, a couple touchdowns. By the way, punished defenders all night long. I mean, I don't want to name any names because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But you know the play I'm talking about on the goal line where he just ran over the Ohio State cornerback who tried to tackle him. Ended up getting brought down, didn't score. But the cornerback, and I won't name his name, but number 41, when you tried to tackle Najee Harris... You took the brunt of that hit. I mean, what a physical force. And a year ago, on this date one year ago, I don't think anyone thought Najee Harris was the best running back on Alabama's roster. I think his backup, Robinson, had more hype coming into the season than he did. And now there's a very good chance he could be a late first-round pick. I mean, this Alabama offense was so stacked. This was a professional offense. Maybe Saban's best. While his defense didn't impress me throughout the course of the year, This was his best offense ever in Tuscaloosa. And it showed Monday night with a title game record, 52 points. 
Great day to be a Crimson Tide. Not a great day to be a Buckeye. Great day to be listening to Serralo Sports Talk, though. When we return, former LSU and Cleveland Browns quarterback, friend of the show, Josh Booty joins us. Don't go anywhere. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. here on Serralo Sports Talk and joining the show. You can hear the background noise in the airport, but as promised, <laughs> it's time for friend of the show, former LSU quarterback, former Cleveland Browns quarterback, Josh Booty. Josh, thanks for making the time in your busy schedule. Man, always for you, brother. I always enjoy doing these shows with you, and, and I look forward to uh, this week's show because we got NFL playoffs, and of course, we can talk a little college football, the national championship, and, and some different things. So I appreciate you having me. I'm sorry about being in the airport today. Hey, no worries, man. You're a busy man. I understand. Look, this is the perfect week to have you on. I mean, your old coach at LSU, Nick Saban, his seventh national championship, your Cleveland Browns. You were on the Cleveland Browns the last time they made the playoffs when they lost to Pittsburgh in the wild card round. So there's so much to get to. Let's start with Coach Saban, his seventh national title. I yeah. mean, is there any doubt after, you know, you've seen him up close for a season at LSU? Is he far and away the best coach to ever do it at the college ranks? No, I don't think there's any question. I think in today's game with, you know, with all the innovation, uh, you could look back in the day and look at Bear Bryant and what he did. He dominated college football in his days. But what Saban's done at Alabama is probably create the biggest dynasty of all time. I mean, he's got six national championships there and in less than 15 years. He plays in the national championship almost every other year. Uh, or every, you know, almost every year, every other year. I mean, it's just crazy what he's been able to do. And we knew he, when he was at LSU, before he had won any national championships back in 2000, uh, that he was a very, very good football coach. It was just a matter of time. I mean, his, his personality is go as hard as you can go all day, every day, and then look up and, and look at the scoreboard at the end of the game, you know, or at the end of the year. I mean, that's just kind of the personality he is. He doesn't care about one win. He doesn't care about two wins. He doesn't care about three wins. He doesn't care about an undefeated season. He cares about that, that minute that you have right now. And that's how he segments every practice, every offseason workouts, all the schedules, his recruiting, the way he dials it up in recruiting. And then the way he goes after great, uh, you know, position coaches. I mean, he coaches his coaches, too, as hard as he does his players. That's what I tell people all the time. And they go, what does that mean? You know, I'm like, well, he treats the coaches that coach under him just like the players. I mean, they're held accountable uh, just as much as the players are held accountable for every play uh, that's called in practice every session in, in, uh, in workouts and off-season program. I mean, if, if a player messes up, it's the coach's fault. So everybody is, is held accountable. And that's why I think from top to bottom, he's just unbelievable because he recruits the best, he's got the best staff, and then he requires the most. And that's he gets the most out of the guys. Yeah, he, he absolutely does. I mean, and what's remarkable about him is he looks better now than he did years ago, about 15 years ago when he was coaching in the NFL I mean, how much more do you think Nick Saban has in the tank? I think what's crazy about it is this year's recruiting class, they said might be the finest recruiting class he's ever had. So this incoming class, the kids that are coming in the spring and they're going to be playing next fall and in the end of the summer, this is the number one recruiting class, they said, maybe of all time in college football. So we'll wait to see what he does next year. But I don't think there's any stop in this group. Bryce Young is a great quarterback. He was a top guy coming out of modern day a year ago. He'll fit right in in this offense. Uh, I think they're going to hire Bill O'Brien, uh, the offensive coordinator. They're going to do some of the same stuff, spread RPO stuff. They're going to run the ball. They're balanced. they got great run game. They always do. That takes a lot of pressure off a quarterback, especially a young kid like Bryce Young. So I think they're going to be really good. they got talented receivers, tight ends out the wazoo, and a defense, man. They, you know, they're going to win another championship in the next few years for sure. It's absolutely incredible. You know, Alabama's defense every year produces first-round picks. Usually it's not, not a shock at all to see two, three, four first-round picks come out of their defense this year, you could be looking at four first-round picks from the offensive side of the ball. Mac Jones, 
Uh, both receivers, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. Najee Harris might go late in the first round. Uh, I want to talk about Mac Jones. You're a quarterback. Justin Fields, right? A lot of Justin Fields truthers were coming out after they beat Clemson saying he should go first ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Well, Mac Jones outplayed Justin Fields on one leg in the national title game. Is there a possibility that Mac Jones could be the better quarterback, that he could be the second one taken in April's draft? Well, I think he's efficient. And in, in that offense, he, you know, he completes a lot of balls. His completion percentage is way up there. He doesn't make mistakes. But, you know, having that great offensive line, having those great receivers, having Najee Harris, Billingsley, the tight end, that's a flex tight end, kind of like a Kelsey. I mean, that is left tackle. Leatherwood's probably going to be a first rounder. I mean, they got so much talent. It makes it easy on a quarterback. I'm not saying he's better than Fields uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I think Fields can do it all. I think Fields is strong, competitive. Son of a gun can run a little bit better than Mac Jones, but Mac is efficient. You know, we saw Burrow last year, first pick overall, LSU kid. He had an unbelievable year, and I got close to watching him a ton last year because I cover LSU. But Mac Jones did a lot of what Burrow did. It was like a repeat performance. It was crazy. They ran the tables. He made no mistakes really all year long. Uh, they stayed balanced, and, and Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator that's now the head coach of Texas, did an unbelievable job kind of gearing that offense around Najee, Mac, and those receivers. And, and uh, man, I, I don't know. You can't say that Mac Jones is not better than Fields because he had such a wonderful year, but Fields athletically is off the charts. His arm strength's better. He runs better. He moves better. Uh, and he's always had success, too. He just didn't have quite the team around him as Mac Jones. Yeah, and this could definitely be an exciting quarterback draft. Of course, headlined by Trevor Lawrence. Don't forget, you got Zach Wilson out of BYU and Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Look, Devontae yep. Smith, the Heisman winner, first wide receiver since 1991, Desmond Howard at Michigan, to win the Heisman, totally the most deserving player in the country. Is he the number yep. two pick in the draft? I mean, would the Jets be absolutely crazy not to draft Devontae Smith? Well, if I'm Sam Darnold, I'm, I'm going up there every day and, and begging them to, to, to draft him because you, you want a guy like that on your team to just take the top off of coverage. But he's not a guy that just runs deep routes every time. If you watch that game, that national championship game, you watch some of his regular season ball games in the playoff game. I'm telling you, the guy can run routes like crazy. He's like Jerry Judy and Ruggs mixed which Jerry Judy's a route runner. Ruggs is a real deep threat. But yeah. but I'm Devontae Smith can run routes. He catches balls really nicely along the sideline. He runs the slants. They, they did a lot of those wrinkles with him, uh, misdirection plays where he outflanked the defenders real quick and can get to the sideline fast and make big plays. But even the crossing routes and different things, he's tough as, he's tough as nails, man. I mean – and, and he might not even been the best receiver on that team if Jalen Waddle stays healthy all year. I mean, and he wouldn't have been the punt returner because Jalen would have. And he returned a punt for a touchdown Devontae did that made a maybe won the Heisman because he's he he was so two dimensional. You could say, man, this kid's unbelievable. So I'm I just think that he's a he's a fabulous player. He's going to be an unbelievable pro because he's humble and he works hard. Saban said he's one of the hardest workers he's had ever had through there. One of the best kids. He's a Louisiana boy, with, so I'm proud. I'm a Louisiana boy too. So. I, I like the kid. If I'm the Jets, though, you got to look at Justin Fields and say, you know, is, there, is, is he a really good option for us to move this complete franchise forward? Uh, it, it's got to, to me, it's, it's either Fields or Devontae Smith. Yeah, it's a tough call because ultimately you have to look at, you know, are any of the quarterbacks not named Trevor Lawrence better than mm -hmm. Sam Darnold? And then you have to look at what Sam Darnold's been working with. You know, he hasn't had a great receiving core. He has had no protection. And yep. you have to think if you build around Darnold, Maybe it's better to have Darnold and Devontae Smith than Justin Fields and no weapons. Josh, yeah. I want to get to the Cleveland Browns because you spent the majority of your NFL career there. You were a Brown the last time they made the playoffs, 0-2, a crushing 36-33 wildcard defeat at the hand of Tommy Maddox and the Pittsburgh Steelers. What was so special about that 0-2 Browns team, in your opinion? Well, the coaching staff was really, really good. We played above our heads, to be honest with you. Kelly Holcomb had an unbelievable game, the quarterback in that playoff game we were talking before we uh, started recording. But Kelly Holcomb was a phenomenal quarterback in that system. He had been with Bruce Arians, who was our offensive coordinator and play caller in Indianapolis, and he gave us a real shot. We didn't have a, a great defense that year in Pittsburgh. Tommy Maddox was the quarterback. This is pre-Big Ben, so this is a long time ago, 2002, right? So. But, but Pittsburgh was a run-dominant team, and they scored a lot of points on us. So I think at the end of the day, we weren't good enough on defense 
to win, you know, a playoff game or multiple playoff games or make a real run. But on offense, we were creative enough. We had guys like Dennis Northcutt, uh, Kevin Johnson, Quincy Morgan, some guys that could run and catch the football. And uh, we had a wide open attack and we, we got on them a little bit early and that Pittsburgh had to come back, but they used that balance and run game and that their defense at the end of the game to kind of shut us down. And it was very tough. It was cold weather, Heinz field packed house. That's a, that's a very different scenario than what Cleveland had to do last week with, with no fans in the stands. Yeah, and if you look at what happened Sunday night, the Browns, of course, they jump off to that big 28 nothing first quarter lead. You guys were up 14 nothing in that one. In fact, up 33-21 to with just 10 minutes to go before Pittsburgh scored two touchdowns in the final three minutes of play in that game. So after seeing that one slip away, a game that you guys had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, what does it mean now as a Brown alum to see them get back to the playoffs and then go to Pittsburgh and whoop the Steelers on Sunday night? I loved it. When Pouncey snapped the ball over Big Ben's head, I go, whoa, you know, you get a little momentum going, and that's a, that's a big deal in, in, in a football game, right? If you get that, that real initial momentum in the game where it kind of takes the edge off of it and goes, okay, let's play loose, and then Big Ben throws a pick and they go down and score again, and then – it's 14 nothing. then it's 21 nothing. They, they, they kind of screwed themselves on a couple of drives, and it really hurt them, and then they had to play comeback. I mean, they threw for a ton of yards, but they were having to air it out because they were down so much. It was just – it was fun to watch Cleveland get over the – you know, get the monkey off their back, to be honest with you. I mean, they got a really good football team, but now they got to go to KC, and KC is a – that's a whole other animal because they're clicking on all cylinders. Mahomes got a couple weeks – uh, off where he's probably roaring and ready to go. And they've been the best offense in the NFL the last two years. I mean, they, they're they remarkable what they can do. And, and Mahomes, there's a lot of magic in that right arm, man. And, and so it's going to be tough to win this week. Yeah, no, it definitely will be. You know, in the Andy Reid-Patrick Mahomes era, coming off a of bye week, whether it's the regular season or the playoffs, Kansas City has never failed to score at least 31 points. So on that note, what do your Browns have to do to go to Arrowhead and come out victorious? They're going to have to play better defense than they've ever played in their life. And they're going to have to contain all those receivers and weapons. I mean, they got four guys that caught over 400 yards worth of balls. Kelsey's second in the league. And, you know, everybody knows about, uh, you know, their weapons and, and Hill and Tyreek Hill and the Cheetah and all that stuff. I mean, they've got to be able to contain them. Hopefully they'll get a couple of turnovers, maybe a fumble, a, a tipped pick. I went to that Chiefs-Dolphins game live three or four weeks ago in Miami, and they got a couple of easy – or a couple of uh, the ball bounced their way a couple of times and got some turnovers and then they were in, at it at the end of the game. That's what's got to happen. Cleveland's got to do some cool stuff. The ball's got to bounce their way a little bit and then at the end of the game have a chance. I don't think it's a game where Cleveland goes in there and scores a ton of points on them and and gets out ahead of them because Kansas City's just so dynamic on offense and their defense isn't isn't bad either. So I, I mean, I like Kansas City in the, in the game. I, I think they'll win by ten points. Everybody's thinking that line's way up there, but Kansas City, they're they're rested and ready to go. And and I, I like those guys and Andy Reid and what they do. It's gonna be hard for Cleveland this week. If they pull this one out, I'm a, I'm gonna be a real believer. Yeah, that'd be an incredible win for uh Baker Mayfield and company down there. Hey, the game after the Browns Chiefs, the Tampa Bay Bucks, the New Orleans Saints, everyone's talking about Tom Brady and Drew Brees, two guys that combined to be about 85 years old. I want to talk about the coaching staff, though, because you played for a lot of these guys in Cleveland. Bruce Arians was your offensive coordinator. Todd Bowles was a defensive assistant. Even Todd McNair, who's now Tampa's running back coach, was the running back coach for your Browns team. What's so special about this coaching staff in Tampa, and what could they do to beat New Orleans, a team that they're 0-2 against this year? Well, they're football guys, man. I mean, these guys eat, sleep, and breathe football. I've been around B.A. my whole life. He recruited me at Mississippi State when he was under Jackie Sherrill in the, in the early 90s. I mean, this guy – eat, sleeps, and breathes football, and he loves it. And so I pull for guys like that, guys that are long-time guys that are now, you know, they stay with the trends, they're innovative. Bruce Arians knows how to get people open, and I promise you, him and Byron Leftwich got a plan. And Tom Brady, to, to beat Tom Brady three times in one year, that would what Breeze has up against him in the New Orleans Saints. That's a very tough uh, assignment. I don't know if they can do it. I'm, I'm for Tampa. There's no doubt about it. I'm a Louisiana boy, but I'm for Tampa because I love B.A., and I've always enjoyed watching Brady and Gronk. So it's going to be a fun one. That's going to be the, the game of the week. And, and it could be a, the game of the century because it, when Breeze and Brady come down the line in the fourth quarter and it's close, either of those guys can score, go down the field and score on, on, on any defense out there. So it's, 
when you give those guys four downs, it's it's really difficult. And so that one's going to be a fun one. I can't wait to watch it. And I got to jump on this plane. <laughs> Josh, I know you got to run. Before you go, last thing I got to ask, circling back to the college championship, who wins? 2019 LSU and Joe Burrow or this year's Alabama team? That's a tough one, man. I think it's they go toe-to-toe, maybe an OT game. I like Bama and Saban because of Saban factor. He's the best coach ever. So I would lean towards Bama if I had to bet my life on it. But I love Joe Burrow and what that offense did last year. We had weapons galore. We had a bunch of first-rounders. We won a bunch of top 10 games last year. But Bama ran the deal this year as well. So, I mean, I don't know. I like If it's a Tiger Stadium, I like LSU. If it's anywhere else, I would go Bama by hair. There you go. Josh, have a safe flight. Thanks so much for Thank making you, the buddy. time. All right. Appreciate you, man. You're the man. All right, Talk soon. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. What a great spot there by my man Josh Booty. One of my favorite people to talk to. I mean, who else can say that they were a first-round pick in the MLB, that they played college football for Nick Saban, and then went on to play an NFL career as well. Uh, Just one of the most interesting cats out there, my man Josh. Look, I spend a lot of time in the monologue talking about the AFC playoff picture, of course, in addition to the college football championship game. I want to shift focus for my final word to the NFC playoff picture because we have history taking place Sunday between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints down in Louisiana. You know, in the AFC, it's remarkable. Of course, you had Big Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers, two vets that have been there before, get knocked off in the first round. But of the four teams remaining in the AFC, no quarterback is 26 years old. In fact, Baker Mayfield will be 26 in about two months, and that makes him the oldest of the four remaining quarterbacks in the AFC. What we have in the NFC, two quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, two no-doubt-about-it first-ballot Hall of Famers in the making, two top-five quarterbacks of all time, of course, Tom Brady being the GOAT. You know, I was watching The Dark Knight last week. Of course, the Batman movie, second in the most recent trilogy, and I'm not really a superhero movie guy, but I love the Dark Knight trilogy, especially the 2008 film with Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, of course, as the best Joker. I'm still not over the fact, by the way, that in the 2009 Oscars, the 81st Oscar Awards, that The Dark Knight wasn't even nominated for Best Picture that year. I I mean, look, I loved Slumdog Millionaire. I thought that was an incredible movie. But to me, when you look at The Dark Knight and the acting performance by Heath Ledger there, I I mean, my top five movies of all time, I love the old Italian mob movies. I'll probably go top three the two, first two Godfathers, only two really, that should ever be looked at. Forget the third. I'll go Godfather 1 and 2, then Goodfellas at 3. I'll slide Pulp Fiction in there at 4. And to me, The Dark Knight rounds out my top five favorite movies of all time. So I'm still not over the fact that it wasn't even nominated, let alone a winner for Best Picture. Heath Ledger, of course, Best Supporting Actor. That was probably the easiest decision in the 90-plus years of the Academy Awards. But there's a scene at the end of that movie where the Joker, Heath Ledger, is hanging from a building after a fight with Batman, and he starts laughing because he was free-falling and Batman saved his life, and he's just hanging there laughing. And Batman goes, what's so funny? And he goes, you can't kill me, because this is what happens when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force. And as I'm watching this movie, now mind you, this is Saturday night, Tampa Bay has already won, the Rams won too, so you know it's going to be Bucks saints if the Saints win against the Bears. Of course, Sunday they did that easily. And I'm watching this movie and I hear that. And all I can think of is Drew Brees is that immovable object, right? I mean, two years in a row, he suffered injury concerns. People wondering when's he going to retire? Was it last offseason? Will it be this offseason? You know, he got banged up, broke a bunch of ribs this year. 
but he's immovable. He doesn't go anywhere. You know, he's got that one Super Bowl win, and you can argue that the Saints have underperformed in the postseason for the better part of the past decade. But Drew Brees is a staple. He doesn't go anywhere. And despite some postseason struggles, year in and year out, he turns out incredible performances, constantly going back and forth with Tom Brady for most passing yards of all time, most passing touchdowns of all time. Drew Brees has his name all over the record books. And then you look at Tom Brady, of course, the unstoppable force, the six-time Super Bowl champ, played in the game nine times, the GOAT, best quarterback, greatest of all time, and I don't know if you can dispute that. You can love Dan Marino, you can love Joe Montana, you can love Peyton Manning. At this point in Tom Brady's career, you can't really make the case for any of them to be better quarterbacks than Tom Brady. I mean, Brady has shown this year, mind you, he has a Pro Bowl team around him, but he has shown this year that he doesn't need Bill Belichick to be successful. And yes, the Buccaneers underperformed early, winning just seven of their first 12 games before cranking out four straight to close the season. Yes, there have been times where the chemistry was off, where Gronkowski did not look like Gronkowski. It took Antonio Brown a while to fit in. The Buccaneers are a great team with a great roster and the best quarterback of all time. And I can't wait to see What happens on Sunday, the final, appropriately so, final game of this divisional weekend when the immovable object, Drew Brees, meets the unstoppable force, that is Tom Brady. I mean, you heard Josh Booty in that interview talk about this Tampa Bay Bucks coaching staff, and Josh noted something that I'm a big proponent of. It is incredibly difficult to beat a team, any team, three times in one season. I mean, you know how when there's a rivalry involved, Football becomes a totally different game. You can see the last place team of a division knock off the first place team any given Sunday, especially when they get two cracks at it throughout the course of a season. You throw in a third crack. And you throw in Tom Brady coming off maybe the worst performance of his career, undoubtedly the worst primetime performance of his career, when New Orleans embarrassed the Buccaneers, eviscerated them 38-3 on Sunday night football. You think that's going to happen again? No chance. And did Tampa Bay look incredible against the Washington football team? No. No, and you have to credit Taylor Heineke there. I think that he looked far and away better than anyone could have ever expected or anticipated. And the Washington football team made that a contest. It was a one-possession game, an eight-point loss to Tom Brady and the Bucks. But now, going into the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans, playing Drew Brees for the third time this year, I think Tom Brady's coming out angry, He's coming out motivated. He's coming out meaning business. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to get a rematch with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, who, oh, by the way, don't forget, they beat 38-10 to earlier this year in Tampa. They're going to get a rematch for the NFC Championship game in a little over a week. I can't wait. I also can't wait. And I know this is unprecedented for me. It's January. This is a football show from September to January. But every now and then, I like to keep you on your toes. I like to switch it up. Last week, I talked a little Mets baseball with the Francisco Lindor, Carlos Carrasco trade coming over from Cleveland. And guess what? There's been another humongous trade this week that impacts New York, Houston, and the rest of the NBA. James Harden and Kevin Durant reuniting in Brooklyn. You know, a lot of people are worried about that Brooklyn Nets locker room with Harden, who had totally lost his teammates, had totally lost the locker room in Houston well before this season even started. Then you've got Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving, who, by the way, as a Knicks fan, two years ago entering the free agency that was Kevin Durant, Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, I said from the start as a Knicks fan that my wish list was Kevin Durant and Kemba Walker. I wanted nothing to do, and I've made this very clear throughout the course of his career, I have never wanted anything to do with Kyrie Irving. I mean, the guy's nuts. He wasn't content being the Robin to LeBron James' Batman in Cleveland. And, you know, I just spent time talking about goats and Tom Brady. Look, this one is way more debatable, but I am a LeBron James goat believer. I believe that LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time. I mean, just on sheer physical ability and talent alone. You know, I mean, Michael Jordan was not born with the physical gifts LeBron James has and what LeBron's done throughout the course of his career, 10 finals runs, you know, taking a Cleveland team 
whose second best scorer was Larry Hughes, who was headlined by Anderson Varejao and Zadrunas Ogauskas. I mean, taking them to the finals against San Antonio was absolutely remarkable. But not to get into that, Kyrie Irving wasn't content being the number two player on a team that features undoubtedly a top two NBA player of all time. So he goes to Brooklyn, where he's the Robin to Kevin Durant's Batman. And now with James Harden, I saw something today, and I thought it was spot on, that says Kyrie Irving is the Alfred, the butler, to Durant's Batman and Harden's Robin. I mean, Kyrie Irving, he's the one I worry about in this trade, not James Harden, who frankly, I think will be on his best behavior now that he's paired with Kevin Durant, a superstar. Uh, The Brooklyn Nets are officially a super team. I really don't know if they were prior to this with Durant and Irving because I am so low on Kyrie Irving's stock, but now they're a super team with or without Kyrie. And James Harden, look, he's got responsibility now. He's got to lose a ton of weight, get in basketball shape, because, son, you're looking like a D-tackle right now. And he's got to stay out of the strip clubs. You know, New York City has some of the best strip clubs in the world, definitely in the country. I mean, Miami, probably the best. New York City, right behind it. Harden, stay out of the strip clubs. We know your career splits. We know your stats are much better in cities with awful strip clubs as opposed to cities with great strip clubs. That's why you struggle in Toronto, that full nude Canada strip club thing. I know it's got you, James. So you got to be on your best behavior in New York. You got what you wanted. You got out of Houston. You're in Brooklyn. You're with KD. Now go ball out because if he does, we should be seeing nothing but Brooklyn versus Los Angeles for the next two, three years in the NBA Finals. And, you know, as far as the rest of the trade, look, I think Houston makes out great. They get Victor Oladipo. He'll probably be a better team player with guys like John Wall and Boogie Cousins. I think Indiana makes out great because you knew Oladipo was bound to leave Indiana. And they get a kid in Karis LeVert, who I absolutely love. I hate that the Nets had to give him up, but obviously it was worth it for Harden. Jared Allen, going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this season anyway. Him leaving was inevitable because I don't think the Nets with Durant and Kyrie's contracts could have afforded him. So Jared Allen going to Cleveland works out well. And then, of course, there's the draft picks. The four first-round unprotected draft picks that the Nets are giving up. Let's face it. Would any of those matter? If the Nets are drafting between 25 and 30 every year, do any of those matter? Maybe the very last one. Maybe the fourth and final one in 2026, but no one in New York cares about five years from now. The Nets are in it to win now. And... Well, right now, sorry Giannis, sorry Milwaukee, sorry Boston, sorry Miami, and sorry Philadelphia. The Brooklyn Nets, right now, are the beasts from the East. That's it for this edition of Serralo Sports Talk. This one's up, it's over, it's out of here. Special thanks to my man Josh Booty for joining the show. I'll talk to you all next week. And remember, let's go Buffalo!
support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.